Good morning, everybody. Good to see you here today. We've had a, a very busy couple of weeks with our soft opening, grand opening, and, and now as we settle into the summer and learn how to use this, uh, this great facility for ministry and outreach, we're excited about what God has in store. Um, the title for this week's message is Sunday Mornings in Heaven. Doesn't that sound like a great title? Thank you very much. I came up with it myself. <laughs> have, you, uh, <clears throat> have you ever had... Uh, a worship experience that was special where you sensed something maybe a greater awareness of God's presence and I say it that way because for those that say you know pray for God to fill a place God doesn't have to fill a place he's um, omnipresent he's always here what does change is our awareness of his presence and so you may have had an experience like that in worship where you had a greater awareness of his presence and the question is what are the things that make those special moments of worship happen and if we can know what the ingredients are is there a way to make it happen more often you know, worshiping together has always been an important characteristic of the church community, all the way from the first century until today. And throughout church history, the church has put great effort, thought, time, resources, and creativity into corporate worship, community worship. You know, when we first started at McCurdy's, there was a lot of work that had to, we didn't just show up like a comedian does their set. You know, we had to do a lot of other stuff. We had to build stage pieces. We had to buy some good equipment, sound equipment. We had to recruit talented musicians. Did you know, I don't know if you guys know this, but for the last six years, members of our team would arrive every Sunday four hours early to prepare so that we could have a community worship experience. And we made worship on Sunday morning a priority, and many people put a lot of work into it each week. And then as we moved, we started renovating this facility and getting this particular worship space ready was one of the highest priorities. It was our main focus and we spent a lot of time and a lot of resources and a lot of money getting, if you'd have seen this room beforehand, oh my goodness. <clears throat> we do all these things because we know that worshiping in community, in fact, is the most distinguishing act of a church that follows Jesus. We learned last week in my sermon last week that when we gather together, Jesus promises to open a door to heaven that we can enter into through him. And then today's passage with the second half of that gives us the perspective from heaven of what that looks like when his redeemed enter into the door. We're gonna look at what it sounds like right now, this moment, in the throne room. Let's look at the passage from Revelation chapter 4, verse 6. Before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass, like crystal. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures, full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature like a lion, the second living creature like an ox, the third living creature with the face of a man, and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around within. And day and night they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. <clears throat> and whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders 
fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who loves, who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, worthy are you, O Lord, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they existed and were created. It's an incredible passage that we're studying the last couple of weeks. There's so much here. And like we do with every week, there is some history I want to point out to you. I've entitled this history session, What It Means to Be Exposed by God's Glory. <clears throat> Throughout the Old Testament, there was a recurring problem. People wanted to gather together to worship God, but they couldn't. You know, we kind of take it for granted today. There was a problem. Their sin had erected a spiritual barrier between God and his people. They couldn't come into his presence. Whether they were alone or in community, they could not approach God. And they were afraid of this. In Exodus 33, verses 18 to 20. You can click it for me. I'm having a little trouble, Mike. Okay. Moses said, please show me your glory. But God said, you cannot see my face, for man cannot see me and live. Well, that's a bummer. <laughs> Look at this next one in Numbers. The people of Israel said to Moses, behold, we perish. We are undone. We are all undone. Everyone, by the way, undone means exposed, naked. Everyone who comes near, who comes near to the tabernacle of the Lord shall die. Are we all to perish? This was a cause of great anxiety in the Old Testament. And there was a reason why sinners in the Old Testament would be hesitant to come into the presence of God to worship him. Because the presence of God's glory, if you're not prepared correctly, will kill you. Then we see a story about Isaiah, who, by the way, saw this same picture, this, this throne room that John describes in greater detail. Isaiah saw it in chapter 6. And he was transformed. This whole reason that we need redemption, the whole reason that we need mercy and grace is not so that you can be forgiven. Yes, that's a byproduct of it. But do you know why God goes through all the trouble to redeem his chosen? So that we can enter into his presence together. That's the reason. Here's a great historical example of someone who saw the same scene that John saw and he knew that he wasn't ready for it. Isaiah chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. Above him stood the cherubim. This is Isaiah describing what he saw. You'll see it's the exact same thing that John saw. Above him stood the cherubim. Each had six wings. Two covered his face, two covered his feet, and with two he flew. One called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And I said, this is Isaiah talking, Woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips. I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. Other translations say, for I am undone, which means I am exposed. For my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts, the one of the cherubim. Then one of the cherubim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal he had taken with tongs from the altar. He touched my mouth and said, behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And that changed everything that day for Isaiah. 
When Isaiah was confronted with the throne room, his own sinfulness and frailty were exposed. He was naked before God. And experiencing the glory of God gave Isaiah the eyes he needed to see his own unworthiness, and it drove him to a point of desperation. He didn't say, wow, this is a cool scene, God. Let me get back to you. I got some work to do. No, his response was, woe is me. I have been exposed. I have been disrobed. And then the angel comes to Isaiah. Notice, by the way, it's not the reverse. Isaiah doesn't go to the angel and say, hey, can you cleanse me? Isaiah just says, oh my goodness, I am not ready for this. The angel goes to Isaiah and is cleansed and transformed and he becomes like one of the 24 elders in white robes on the throne. Remember those 24 thrones we talked about last week? Suddenly, Isaiah is no longer unclean. He's been forgiven. He can now enter the throne room, a new creation. See, this is what God does. God is in the business of removing the barriers between him and his people so that we can come near his glory, not alone, but in community. Let's look at the spiritual part of this passage. What about God? What does he do and how does he do it? I want you to see there is worship all around the throne here. First of all, there's the sea of glass. Now, I'm just going to tell you, the sea of glass is actually the least understood image in this passage. And after a lot of study, I've kind of nailed down what I think my view is, and there's probably about a 23% chance it's right, maybe less. You know, Hebrews describes the tabernacle of God that he instructed the Israelites to build, and Hebrews describes it as an earthly copy of this room. And God instructed there be a large tub of water called a laver that would be placed before the entrance into the Holy of Holies. And you had to go through that laver in the water to be cleansed. I think this sea of glass represents that fixed, uncrossable barrier to the throne for all who have not been redeemed and cleansed and transformed. Then we see the four living creatures. Yeah, we're just going to skip that part. Nobody really wants to know what that is, do you? <laughs> All the eyes and the wings are boring. <laughs> you know, living creatures is really not a good name for what's there. The actual best translation is the ones who live or living ones. They have personality. They have names. Ezekiel saw these same living ones in chapters 1 and 10 of his book. And John does the same thing he does with all the rest of it. He gives more details in the book of Revelation. Ezekiel called them cherubim. These are awesome, frightening, powerful living beings in charge of watching the throne room. And John describes them, that he says they have eyes all around. And this is important. These eyes are an important Old Testament symbolism. Eyes are associated with knowledge and wisdom. Look what it says in Proverbs chapter 15, 3. The eyes of the Lord are in every place. Keep watching, keep watch, keeping watch on the evil and the good. We see another example in 2 Chronicles. And by the way, I could have gone several places, but I'll just show you these two. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth. It's obviously not the eyes with legs running. This is an image and a symbol of nothing escapes the eyes of the throne room. And these cherubim with eyes all around, it's not a grotesque thing. Well, man, there's thousands of eyes. What he's really describing are living ones that can see everything going on. They can see everything happening. No matter where they turn, because they have eyes all around, no matter where they turn, they can see the throne of God. And Jesus and the throne are their focus. 
And then John uses the likeness of animals. The same animals that Ezekiel used to describe certain attributes that these awesome living ones possess. <clears throat> Look, we do that sometimes with people, don't we? Pastor Joe is as fast as a gazelle. You know, you probably heard that before. <laughs> Pastor Joe is as strong as an ox, right? You guys have said that. Pastor Joe is as tall as a giraffe, right? You've, you've used these types of animals to describe me. <laughs> okay. Throughout the Old Testament, the lion represents authority. He says one was like a lion. Throughout the Old Testament, the ox represents strength and faithful service. One is represented by an ox. Throughout the Old Testament, the face of man stands for wisdom. And throughout the Old Testament, the eagle symbolizes airborne power and speed. So he says one was like a lion, one is like an ox, one has the face of a man, and one is like an eagle. These cherubim around the throne have strength, and they have power. They serve faithfully and relentlessly, flying with speed. The scripture says in Ezekiel, they dart across the throne, back and forth. These cherubim are fierce angels. There's not the little fat little Valentine's cherubs we think of <laughs> with the precious little bow and, and, and heart-shaped arrow, you know. It's not like that at all. Here's what's so amazing about these cherubim. They have a full, think about this, they have a fuller access to the understanding of God's glory than any other creation. And their only job, their only focus is guarding the throne and leading the hosts in heaven in the worship of the one who sits on the throne. They declare repeatedly, without ceasing, even in this moment as I speak to you about it, here's what they're saying. God is unchangeable. He was, he is, and he is to come. We've talked about this in our series on Revelation. It is the book of the already, the right now, and the not yet. But here's the great thing. They don't worship alone. Remember the 24 elders on smaller thrones in white robes? And I explained that represents all of God's redeemed. They answer when the angels say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. But they answer in a way the angels cannot. Think about this. The angels don't have the benefit of experiencing grace, love, and mercy, but the 24 around the throne do. This worship was and is and will continue nonstop. It's happening this Sunday morning in heaven as we gather here in this room in community. <clears throat> it is, in fact, and try to, try to understand this, try to get your mind out of chrono chronological thinking. We are bound by time in so many ways. Try to transcend that for just a moment. This is actually, this throne room, this throne room described by John is the place and time where heaven and earth overlap. We gather, and what does Jesus say he does? He opens the door, and we join the community of heaven. Watch how this is described in Hebrews. Are you ready? Notice, by the way, there are no singular or individual pronouns, only pronouns that describe community. Therefore, since we, not I, not you, therefore, since we have confidence to enter the holy places, by the blood of Jesus, 
by the new and living way he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh. See the word opened? Curtain, another word for door. Since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, the sea of glass. That's pretty good stuff, isn't it? What about the personal? What are we supposed to do with this incredible passage? I believe that it's to teach us that we are currently right now as we gather together in community with heaven. Now, this was the sermon preview. Some of you said you didn't like it. Tough. <laughs> worshiping God in solitude is wonderful, but will never compare to worshiping God in community. Just ask the angels in heaven. See, here's the problem with American Christianity. We have elevated individualism above community in our connection to Jesus. And frankly, our priorities show it with our time, with our money. I think in many ways, American Christianity has become primarily about God and me, me and God, my God, my Jesus. You know, this whole concept was very foreign to the first century church. When they read scripture, they could think of God and his community. They thought of themselves as one. We Americans, we think of ourselves as just me. You know, I got my connection to God. And yes, there's, it's true that you do. But that's not really what Revelation is about now, is it? It seems, and don't get me wrong when I say this. Okay, I'm going to qualify it. It seems that we make personal quiet time and prayer a higher priority than gathering in community. Don't take this wrong. Personal time with God is critical. It is important. It is powerful. And frankly, we need it if we're going to make it through this life. But one day in heaven, guess what? We won't need personal devotions anymore. <laughs> we're going to be in the throne room. Look, these are important disciplines that we want to cultivate. And we affirm. And we don't want to neglect them. We need to be able to deal with all the things that are pressing against us in this world. But we learn from today's passage and the others in the Old Testament that worship in heaven, listen carefully, is not personal or isolated. It is corporate. It is community. These other spiritual disciplines are all, listen to me, these other spiritual disciplines, prayer, devotions, Bible reading, all those things, they are all subservient before our community connection to Jesus, and it is wrong to do so. We have all manner of reasons we use to make worshiping community a lower priority. But I'll tell you this, there are four mentions of the throne room in the scripture. The one in Revelation is the last one with the most detail. We don't see any mention of individual devotional time, quiet time, or personal prayer time. It's all corporate worship. <clears throat> Let me ask you a question. Would one of the 24 elders who represents the redeemed who sit on the smaller thrones and dressed in white robes around the throne, would they ever say, eh, I'm going to stay home from the heavenly throne room today. I've had a rough week. I'm stressed. 
I need to chillax. My wife taught me that word, by the way, chillax. It's a good one. <laughs> yes, she's told me to chillax many times, as you can imagine. <laughs> I need some me time with God today. It's been a long week. I'm going to skip the open door to the throne room. Would an angel or one of the 24 in white robes ever even dream of saying that? And if we're honest, we can admit we could never adequately by ourselves declare his majesty as individuals. It's much better in community, is it not? As a follower of Jesus, we should never be so arrogant to think that we can give God the glory he deserves without the rest of his community helping us. Solitude with God is made powerful first by those who understand the... Listen carefully. I'm going to say this again in case it was going in one ear and out the other. Solitude with God is made powerful first by those who understand the importance of worshiping in community, not the other way around. This is your preparation for your quiet time. Quiet time is not preparation for this. <clears throat> How do we get to the place that we think we can worship God just fine without community? We're better than the 24 or the cherubim? I don't know about you guys, but I can tell you, I've learned this over the years. I desperately need Jesus and all of you with me if I'm going to worship effectively. But here's the great part. Jesus takes us in. Remember what we, we read this verse last week in my sermon, Matthew 18, and this promise really starts to have a lot more depth when you understand it from the perspective of Revelation. Look what he says in Matthew 18. Jesus says this, whatever you close on earth shall be closed in heaven. There's this idea of the door again. Whatever you open on earth shall be opened in heaven. If two of you agree on earth about anything, in other words, if you meet together, it's not about whether or not you have a fight or like who's the greatest basketball player of all time. What this means is when you come together, if two, more, or two or more of you come together on earth about anything, anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. There's an example of the open door to the throne room. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. That's a really hard verse to ignore, isn't it? See, this is the great part. When we gather in community, it's Jesus who leads us through that door. He's by our side. It is not our devotional life or our prayer time that prepares us for worship. It's Jesus himself along with our community. And what Revelation does, the way John has written it, it helps us to see the privilege, the incredible awesome privilege that Jesus has reserved for those who gather in community to worship him. And I will tell you that outside of dying for your faith, gathering, gathering in community, when Jesus, as he promises, takes us through that door to heaven, that is the ultimate expression of following Jesus in this life. It is far superior to any private moment you could muster. What we learn today is this. The fullest way to experience the, listen carefully, the fullest way for you to experience the already, the right now, and the not yet is in community with Jesus by your side as he opens a door to heaven into the throne room. Theologically, I feel confident with this statement. 
Theologically, what we experience here together today in community is literally Sunday morning in heaven. Today, those in this particular room with ears to hear can experience two things necessary for those incredible worship experiences. Humility and community. Humility because we are exposed by the glory of God and community because we're together as God has called us out of darkness into light. Humility before the throne combined with community are how we experience these glorious moments together. And like Isaiah and the cherubim and the 24 white robes, we acknowledge the undeniable majesty and glory of our God. We gather in community and Jesus takes us through the door and all we can say when we're together is, woe is me, I've been exposed. <laughs> and at that moment, this is what's so great. When we gather in community and he's there with us, when two or three are gathered and he opens that door, we become part of the already, the right now, and the not yet as the throne room of heaven and this little building on Lockwood Ridge overlap. <clears throat> A spiritual community fully prepared to declare together God's glory. The moment we sense the overlap of heaven and earth as we join in with the cherubim and the 24 in the throne room right now. Here's the mind blower. You ready? Take a sip of coffee if you got it. Just don't spill it on the carpet. Amy Dennis will kill you. <laughs> we are part. We are part of what John is describing in heaven right now we just haven't experienced it yet we are part of the 24 matter of fact when we go through chapter 5 and chapter 6 and we talk about the seals and it talks about the, the thousands of people the sea of people worshiping that's us and we're there right now and God is experiencing our praise and glory we just haven't seen it or experienced it yet because we are bound by this time So I'm going to ask the band to come up, and we're going to do something a little different today. They're, the worship team is going to lead us in a closing song that, because I, 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 I texted Megan on Monday, and I just said, you know, Megan, I don't think there's anything I can really say that adequately sums up this passage. <laughs> but I'll tell you this, if the cherubim and the 24 thrones worshiped him in community without stopping because he's worthy of it, Shouldn't we seize every opportunity we have to join them? Why in the world would, he have, would we ever pass up a moment to gather together in community and go through that open door with Jesus by our side and say, worthy is the lamb that was slain. Let's enjoy the door Jesus has opened for us into heaven this morning, shall we? And let's join in by following their example. Day and night, they never cease to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, worthy are you our Lord and God to receive glory and power 
For you created all things, and by your will, they existed and were created. Let's stand and sing together this morning.
Brothers and sisters, may you go in peace to love and serve the Lord. Go out knowing that the grace of God has prepared a way uh, ahead of you that we might stumble into his good works and we come back next week to celebrate the one who was and is and is to come. Go in peace. Happy Father's Day to all our dads. Amen. Amen.